Hello, everybody, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips, and I've got a good show for you today. Lace up your sneakers, folks. The NBA season is coming up before you even know it. I have a guest lined up, my good friend Martino Puccio, who you heard over the summer talk about the World Cup. We're going to break down some of the big headlines to watch as the NBA season kicks off next week. We're also going to have more picks in the NFL as Show Me the Money is back for week number six. I hope to keep my good momentum from last week rolling forward into week number six. We're also going to look ahead in this week's two-minute drill to why baseball is having an identity crisis and why a lot of the game that I grew up to know and love, I feel like a lot of that's going away. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. We'll get it all rolling right after this with this opening tip where I take a look at some of the big headlines from week number five of the NFL season. Isaiah Crowell to the backfield. Crowell has room. Nice cut by Crowell. Crowell chewing up yards down the sideline. Isaiah Crowell could go. Touchdown, Jets. Seventy-seven yards. Job of coming all the way around to the outside here, seeing it. Now watch some big Roby miss, Stewart miss, and now it's just speed as all the Broncos are just looking at his taillight. Welcome back to this week's opening tip. I was originally planning to talk about baseball, but the series has not been great. Baseball playoffs have been kind of boring. Yankees Red Sox been the only really compelling series. The other ones have been mismatches. So instead, I decided to go with the NFL again. Week five has been a lot of fun, a lot of great games. Before I get into the games, I want to give a shout out to my buddy Nick D'Alessio. Nick is in my fantasy league, defending champion, did me a big favor, dropped Isaiah Crowell last week. I was able to pick him up, put him in my lineup this week when Dalvin Cook was out. It paid off big time. Isaiah Crowell sets the franchise record for the Jets, 219 rushing yards as the Jets beat the Broncos 34-16. Crowell had a big day. So did Will Powell. Jets run for 323 yards as a team. They commit to the run. It helps out Sam Darnold. The coaching helps out Sam Darnold as well. They finally stretch the field, guys. They're willing to throw the ball more than 10 yards down the field. And look what happened. 76-yard touchdown to Robbie Anderson on a perfectly thrown ball from Sam Darnold. Another 36-yard touchdown, perfectly thrown football. Cannot be thrown any better to Sam, from Darnold to Robbie Anderson for his second score of the day. Even the defense got involved. Todd Bowles took over the play calling late in the week because Casey Rogers is out with a serious illness. And they made Denver's life miserable. Even Leonard Williams... He's gotten a lot of heat for not making impact plays. Comes up with two and a half sacks. Big effort. Three-game losing streak is over. MetLife is jumping. All is good. But we've seen this before with the Jets. They have had a lot of these big games, and then they come out and lay an egg next week. It happened this season, in fact. Week one, world beaters dominate the Lions. Everyone's singing their praises. Next week, flies a pancake, lose the Dolphins. It'll be interesting to see if the Jets can maintain their intensity next week against the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts got beat up badly Thursday night. They're banged up, have issues on defense, have issues on the offensive line. They do have 10 days to repair, which helps, but 
this is a game the Jets need to win. And this is a game that the coaching staff needs to win in order to show they're making progress. Will it happen? We'll find out. On to the Giants. Thanks to the NFL's choice to put the Giants and Jets on the same time, the NFL made sure New York got the late doubleheader. But I did not get to see much of this Giants game, which was crazy. The whole day was defined by the mess Odell Beckham created in his interview at ESPN, where he took a shot at Eli, saying that he doesn't know if they have a quarterback on the roster. He hinted he wasn't happy. Makes matters worse. Drops a big pass early in the game. Later on, he has that bizarre Keystone Cops moment where he's trying to block on a punt return. The ball bounces off of him. Giants kick into the end zone. Caroline gets a touchdown. But the Giants, they found their way back into this game. Odell Beckham threw a touchdown pass. Caught another from Eli Manning. Eli had his struggles on the day, but he got them down the field. Got them to score. They were up by one last minute of the game. And Carolina drives down, breaks their hearts. Graham Gano, 63 yards at the gun to win the game. And I don't know where the Giants go from here. This team is a mess. They are 1-4, off to a bad start for a second year in a row. And i got to be honest with you, they are just as dysfunctional as dysfunctional can be. You had all the Beckham stuff. Coach Shermer was furious after the game about these comments coming out. Now they're cutting perennial problem child Eric Flowers at right tackle. And they have only three days to get ready for the Philadelphia Eagles. Three days. The division is winnable, but they are in deep, deep, deep trouble. If the Giants do not win on Thursday against the Eagles, they are pretty much done. They might be done right now, but the nail will go in the coffin if they lose this game. Speaking of the Eagles, they have another bad loss, lose to the Vikings at home, and the Viking D was back. The Viking D, which I criticized last week for getting shredded by the Rams on the short week, they were much better. They stifled the Eagles' outside receivers. Zach Ertz was the only guy on that team making plays. They get a big a big return touchdown out of the defense. Their offense also was great. Kirk Cousins goes 30 for 37 for 301 yards and a touchdown. A lot of big help from the outside receivers. Adam Phelan, seven catches, 116 yards, touchdown. He's the first receiver in the Super Bowl era to start a year with five straight 100-yard games. An incredible story for a guy who was an undrafted receiver. The other big Viking, Stephon Diggs, 10 for 91. That should raise alarm bells over how bad the Eagle secondary is. And now they go to New York on Thursday, and now they get to defend Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard on the outside. Should be fun. Should be a fun Thursday night game. Let's go on to some of the other games, starting with the Jags and the Chiefs. And boy, oh boy, Blake Bortles was terrible yesterday. Bortles threw the ball 61 times, completed 33 passes, threw four interceptions, lost a fumble. You can guess how the Jags did based on that alone. The Jaguars' D did his job. Pat Mahomes was mortal. He threw two interceptions, but he did a rushing touchdown. Doesn't matter. They did enough to win. Chiefs 5-0 for the second year in a row. 
Go to Foxborough Sunday night, take on the Patriots in a dynamic game. Now, this is only the third time in the last six years that these teams have met in the regular season. And those games have not been close. The Chiefs won one of those games, 41-14, back in 2014. That was the infamous on the Cincinnati game from Bill Belichick. Last year, the Chiefs came in when the Pats were raising the banner, ran them off the field, 42-27. you got to think that Belichick and the Patriots have revenge on their minds in this matchup. On to the other big game in the early window, the Falcons and the Steelers. The Steelers route the Falcons. Big key to this game. They finally decided to commit to the run again. Fed James Conner the ball. James Conner took it 21 times. Ran for a buck 10. Two touchdowns. The Falcons defense continues to be a big disappointment. Ben shreds that D. 250. Three touchdowns. Two connections to Antonio Brown. They salvage their season. They're 2-2-1. Two, two They're going to play the Bengals next week. The Falcons are in big, big trouble. They are 1-4. A lot of defensive stars on into reserve. A lot of issues. Face the Bucks next week in a must-win game. The Bucks, who have decided to go back to James Winston at quarterback. The Falcons need to win this game in the worst way. They're in the toughest division in the NFC, the South, where the Saints are already beating them. They're 2-1. and one. I'm recording on Monday. They're playing Washington tonight to go to 3-1. and one. Or go to 4-1, and one, excuse me. And the Panthers are 3-1 and one after they beat the Giants yesterday. The Falcons have a lot of work to do. I don't know if they have the bodies left to do it. Some other interesting games in the early window yesterday. Dolphins-Bengals. This is one of my picks last week. I took the Bengals minus 6.5. I was worried big time when I see the Dolphins are jumping out 17-0 in the first half. And it's still 17-0 in the third quarter. I'm writing it off. I'm like, okay, I lost that pick. And what happens? They give up 27 unanswered points. The Bengals' D was enormous. They came up with 14 of those points by themselves with a pick six and a strip sack fumble recovery for a touchdown. Boy, oh boy, the Dolphins got exposed last week. This one's going to stick with them a lot longer. I did not think his team was that good entering the season. They got off to a surprising 3-0 start. They have looked very bad the last two weeks. Blowing that game is a huge problem for them. And Ryan Tannehill is regressing as the season progresses. That's a big problem, especially considering the fact that they were one of those teams up at the top of the draft with the Giants, with the Broncos, who opted to pass on quarterbacks. Now they have Ryan Tannehill. Maybe they're having buyer's remorse. Over to the Motor City. Detroit. Another one that's surprising. They jumped out 24 to nothing on the Packers. Packers tried to make it interesting. Rodgers had to throw all over the yard to get them back in the game. Fell short. Big reason why. Kicker Mason Crosby. Missed four field goals and a point after. Missing five kicks in a game, you're not going to win. Packers also lost three fumbles, and Aaron Rodgers got sacked four times. Add all that up, and there's no wonder why the Packers lost this football game. The Packers are 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. They were my preseason pick out of the NFC in the Super Bowl. Not looking great right there. Detroit... Also having a very strange year. 
They lose badly to the Jets week one. Lose in San Francisco week two. The last three games, they blow out the Patriots at home. Lose in the last second to the Cowboys. Beat the Packers at home. I don't know what to make of this team. I'm definitely not touching any of their games in the pool anytime soon. On to Baltimore and Cleveland. Joe Flacco goes 29 of 56. 298 yards with a pick. That is incredibly inefficient football. The Browns behind Baker Mayfield. They survived another bad call in overtime. Apparently, Jarvis Landry learned that you can get whacked by two different receivers when the ball was thrown and not have it count against the, the defense as either a uh, pass interference or illegal contact. They got to change that, but the Browns survive. They win 12-9. Kicker Greg Joseph would probably have been on the street if he lost, missed that kick in overtime. He nails that one. Browns could easily be 5-0. and Instead, they're 2-2-1, two, two and one, but they are making progress. Was a very ugly football game. From the bits I saw in red zone, it's not pretty at all. You want to know what else is ugly? How about the Titan-Bill game? The Titans and the Bills, their two quarterbacks, combined to throw for 200 yards. They combined for 200 passing yards. This was an ugly football game. The Bills won it at the gun on a 46-yarder from Steven Hauschka. Hooray for the Bills. They're 2-3. and three. They're doing better than they thought they would. Titans, that's a bad loss on the road. Right after they win three in a row, climb to the top of the division, go out and throw up an absolute stink bomb against the Bills. You can't do that if you want to win a division in this league. Finally, we go to the Cowboys-Texans. I watched that game from start to finish last night. Will Smith was here a couple weeks ago doing picks. I was watching with him, big Cowboy guy. Big thing I learned... Cowboys have no outside weapons whatsoever. They could not get anybody open consistently. Dak Prescott targeted nobody outside of Ezekiel Elliott more than four times. No receivers, no tight ends, nobody outside of Zeke got more than four targets. That's kind of like the Patriot model all the way, but the Patriots actually have players who can play football. The Cowboys do not have weapons who can get open. That's a huge problem. The Texans win that game. DeAndre Hopkins absolutely destroyed the Cowboys. I mean, he was open all day. He went nine catches, 153 yards, including the backbreaker. That 49-yard catch and run in overtime where three Cowboys missed the tackle. Deshaun Watson, also brilliant in this game. He went 33 of 44 for 375 with a touchdown and a pick. But one thing I noticed, and this concerns me big time because I'm a Deshaun Watson fantasy owner, he's not going to make it through the year the way he plays. He took a lot of big hits in that game. Their line is not good. When he's running the ball, he does not try and get down. He tries to get the extra yards, which is great, but he was getting checked constantly for rib issues throughout that game. I know just watching the way he played, he is not going to make it through a full season playing like that. That's going to destroy that team. If the Texans want to do anything, they need to get it through his head that he needs to be willing to get down and slide in the open field. He's got to take less hits. If he doesn't, they're going to have huge problems. The other big takeaway from this game, why the hell did Jason Garrett punt the ball in overtime? Set, set the situation up. Fourth and one, Houston 42, five minutes, 40 seconds left in overtime. Garrett chooses to punt the football. I'm watching Will Will is screaming. He's like, what are you doing? This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. We need to keep the ball. 
What happens? Four plays after the Texans get the ball. They're already on the Dallas 27, and the game's over. Dallas is a team built on running the football. They have a great offensive line. They have Ezekiel Elliott. They have a quarterback that can run. You're meaning to tell me that you don't believe those guys can get one yard. One yard. We're not asking them to go fourth and 18. This is one yard. Even if they do not get it, the D was playing well. You could take their chances that you could stop them and they can get the ball back again. There's still plenty of time in OT. The fact you did not get there, that's damning. And to me, that just shows that my goes to my point I made last week about the Colts. I would rather put my faith in my players to win the football game than hope that I can stop them. Garrett did not. Cowboys lose. They're now two and three. You get the Jags next week. Be interesting to see if they can bounce back. All right, and with that, we're going to go on to our NBA preview, which is going to come up right after this. Minute remaining. I like Durant. He says, I don't need a screen. Let me play one-on-one against LeBron. Now Hood picks him up on the switch. Shot clock at five. Kevin Durant way outside. Delivers! Kevin Durant from downtown. It's a six-point game. That's the same spot where he had it in game three last year. A dazzling display from Kevin Durant, 43 points. Welcome back to the Just End the Suffering podcast. NBA season kicks off, tips off next week. Excuse me. We have a lot of games coming up, a lot of interesting storylines to follow. Joining me today to talk about all that. It's a guy we heard from over the summer talking World Cup soccer. Now we're transitioning to the hardwood with Martina Puccio. Martina, welcome back. How are you? Thanks, Mike. Glad to be a recurring guest. Am I the first recurring guest or... Uh, no, Joe D'Alessio beat you out, and I think Jack Clark popped in as well last week. So you're the number three on the recurring list. Okay, okay. Michael Jordan was picked number three, so not bad. I'll take it. Hey, that's a good that's a good omen right there. Yes, sir. All right, let's start with the locals here, the NBA. I'm a Nick guy. What do you think about their coaching decision? They went, they got rid of uh, Hornacek after last season. They brought in David Fisdale after his disaster in Memphis. Do you think that was the right choice? Um, I think it was actually the best choice possible. It's one of the best coaching hires I think the you've seen across the league in a little while, um, especially for the Knicks. I think it, this has the potential to be their best head coach since uh, Jeff Van Gundy. Yeah, I think that's interesting, especially because they have such a young roster, uh, guys who need to be coached up and taught and learn how to play the game professionally. I feel like he's a great fit for that. Yeah, I think so, too. I think you really saw what he did in Memphis. Um, He did a really fantastic job. I thought with a roster that really wasn't all that talented, especially throughout the years, he really made the most of what he could do. But unfortunately, he had some of the problems that uh, um, Hornacek had with their big man, where he got enough spat with Marc Gasol. Next thing you know, he's fired. uh, Joe Kim Noah and Jeff Hornacek have a fight, and then he's gone as well. So I think they just waived Joe Kim Noah, so I don't think Fisdale's going to have to worry about any big men bothering him. No, not with, that, not with him gone. Porzingis is going to be out for a while, but they, he's an intriguing part of their future along with the guys they drafted recently. Kevin Knox this year, uh, Neil Aquino last year. 
do you think they have enough intriguing talent on that roster to try and attract one of these big free agents next summer, like a Kyrie or a Durant or a Clay Thompson? Um, well, we saw we saw what happened when Kyrie basically said he's returning to the Celtics, but you never know what could happen. This league is absolutely insane. He also committed to the Cavs um, as well, and then we know how that ended up. But back to the point, the question. Um, I think they must, they have to prove a lot because at the same time the most intriguing piece there is Przingis, but yet he tears his ACL and he's seven foot three and nobody really knows any background on how to judge a seven foot three player coming off of it. Everyone calls him a unicorn, so as as much as that's a good thing, it's also a difficult thing in terms of injuries because you really don't know when he'll be back. It, it might be best if he doesn't even play at all, and if you're a major free agent and you're looking at their best player who didn't play last year and you don't really know what to expect at the same time, um, I think it would make them a little weary. But I think having Fisdale in there, who's a respected guy, helps. Frank Nilakino was a good pick, but he wasn't the right pick. In my opinion, they should have won with Dennis Smith last year, but they still got a quality guy who could potentially be all defense. That's how good I think he can be on that end. And then Kevin Knox was a really good pick for where they had him. Um, I thought he was a little underrated coming into the draft, and he was one of those players that fell to them. I know everybody wanted Michael Porter Jr. around here, but he was way too risky of a pick. And the Knicks actually surprised maybe some people by making a smart pick and taking Kevin Knox. Yeah, I think they're definitely going the right direction, too. I mean, I was encouraged by the fact they're actually sitting out of the Jimmy Butler sweepstakes because that's something in the past they would have been all over, but they're not at a point yet where they could be trading off assets to get win-now guys like Butler. Yeah, um, and I think we've seen it in their past when they've traded away picks as well. We saw how many times Isaiah Thomas did that. And then even um, the trade by Phil Jackson to go get a trade away a first-round pick for Andrea Bargnani, which ended up being in the lottery for the Raptors. So um, if you refrain from those moves and really build within from the draft, I mean, I think you see it now with all the other top teams today, like the Lakers, um, even the Rockets. Uh, to an extent, uh, obviously the Warriors and how well they drafted, and now the Celtics. So I think it's a good decision by Steve Mills and um, Perry to get them in this situation, stay out of the sweepstakes for Jimmy Butler. Don't make the same mistake in the past that the Knicks have made with Melo, where they give away all their assets for a guy who was probably going to sign with them anyways. So, yeah, I think they're making the right moves. Yeah, let's go to the Nets for a second, the other team in the metro area. Which team do you think is actually further along in their rebuild, the Nets or the Knicks? Ooh, uh, prior to the injury to Kristaps, I would definitely say the Knicks. I'll still lean towards them anyways for the simple fact that I think Kevin Knox and, and Frank Nilakina and just Fisdale, they're better assets than Kenny Atkinson and some of the pieces the Nets had. But remember coming in, Prior Nets um, front office put them in the most difficult situation for the new guys possible because you have absolutely no picks to work with. You have no valuable assets in which you could trade um, to bring in some assets to try and make up for all the draft picks you lost. But at the same at the same time, I thought they've done a really good job of finding good players deep into the draft. I thought Jared Allen was a good pick. Being able to acquire D'Angelo Russell for the late first round pick that they have was a great get, too. But at the same time, I don't see anyone on this roster that screams 
uh, a perennial all-star. I think D'Angelo Russell would probably have the best chance as an all-star. But the rest are, you know, pretty good pieces. There's no one that's excellent that could be like a Knox or a Porzingis. Yeah, is there one guy on that roster right now who you would not trade if you were the Nets, just hold on to it at all costs? Uh, yeah, D'Angelo Russell. I know he had that injury issue last year, and then I know a little people are weary of him because of his locker room stuff that happened with the Lakers. But if you really look at the Lakers' big picture um, these past couple of seasons up until uh, now, it really wasn't a great place for him. I think it was worst-case scenario possible with the Kobe Farewell Tour. Um, and then guys like Nick Young in the locker room is not really who you want. Um, and I think Kenny Atkinson does a good job and gets his team to play hard and I think that's the right environment D'Angelo needs to be in uh, to live up to that number two overall pick hype. Yeah, I like Jared out myself just because of his size and his skill set. I think he could be an intriguing like center in the NBA, but hes I don't think he's a guy you can just like say, oh, he's a Porzingis-level talent that you can build the entire franchise around. I think he's more of a complimentary kind of guy. Yeah, I think he's a complimentary guy, too. I really like his defense, and again, um, a lot of guys that come out as freshmen, their bodies are ready, and that, that's what makes rookies so impactful in the NBA is that they're ready on a physical level that they can compete. It's really the skills that transition later as maybe opposed to some other sports. But Jared Allen's a big man. With freshman big men that come out, especially someone with his build, um, it's going to take a couple more years, and I've already made some really nice strides. Um, you almost saw him get dunked on Blake uh, by Blake Griffin in um, – the preseason, but he made a he made a block. You know, he went up, went straight up, stood his ground with his strength. So uh, that seems to have improved as well. So I think the Nets are making some moves, but you know, one step at a time. They got to get a lottery pick in there. Well, they finally have their own lottery pick now that the uh, Celtics are done collecting out from Billy King's wallet. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, as far as the rest of the East goes, the Cavaliers now we're not gonna get a fifth straight Cavs Warriors night. LeBron left town. Who do you think is the most likely team to get go from the next tier of teams and get to the finals? Well, it's the team that I root for and the team that has lost to the Cavs in the conference finals the past two seasons. That's the Boston Celtics. You just alluded to them and that trade they made with Brooklyn a couple of years ago after trading away Paul Pierce, Jason Terry, Kevin Garnett, and then Celtics taking back all those picks, and then Gerald Wallace to eat that money. Um it was, it, it's been a mastermind by Danny Ainge, uh, being able to flip picks like the Markel Fultz to get a guy like Jason Tatum, and basically an unprotected Sacramento Kings pick this year unless it ends up number one. I mean, the Celtics' current roster, too. I mean, you saw Terry Rozier step up without Kyrie. We saw Jalen Brown as well as another player who came in in the absence of the Gordon Hayward injury. Um, and the fact that they've just been been able to rally around so many guys going down, so many talented guys. They would have beaten the Cavs and gone to the finals if they had their fully healthy team. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I know there's other teams in the East that have made some nice moves, but we don't know what version of Kawhi Leonard we're getting. The Sixers don't really seem to be on that level after that debacle they had against the Celtics um, in the playoffs. Uh, Indy played really well against the Cavaliers, but we all know that the Cavs were simply just LeBron and a bunch of guys. Um, so I don't think there's much to go off of yet, although I think they'll be a top five seed. Um, but I think this runs through the Celtics, and there's that potential that it runs through them for years to come. Uh, I really do think that if DeMarcus Cousins isn't that guy that signs with the Warriors, and Kevin Durant probably leaving after this season, I mean, you could really say that the Celtics got next. 
So I, I think without a doubt, it's the Celtics in the East. Yeah, I'm glad you brought the Warriors up. They've won three out of four or two in a row. DeMarcus Cousins takes the pay cut to go there this year. Is there anybody out west who can beat them this year? Um, yeah, I, I would have thought that if LeBron had a second superstar out there, the Rockets were able to retain everybody and maybe add someone. Uh, I mean, like, we, we don't know what they're going to get with Melo. Uh, like, you saw him last year in, in uh, training camp during uh, – when, he, when they met with the media and they talked about the possibility of him coming off the bench, and he laughed it off. But in the end, all the fans and maybe even some of the media members who asked him that question were laughing. So maybe he realizes he has to go to Houston because and, and accept this role because this might be the lasting image that a lot of fans have of him. Uh, I know Knicks fans didn't have the greatest taste uh, in their mouths of Carmelo after he left them. Um, after he got traded away to the Thunder. Um, Daryl Morey's a smart guy. I think he knows what he was doing when he acquired Mello. I think he realized it was it was worth uh, the risk. They got Marquise Chris in that trade with the Suns um, after giving up uh, Trevor Ariza, I believe it was. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, don't quote me on that. Might be wrong. Um, but they gave up some pieces. Uh, Luke Mbamute, too, is another guy. But, I mean... The Warriors are getting a healthy DeMarcus Cousins. In my opinion, he's the best number five in the NBA when healthy because um, I don't consider Anthony Davis a five. Um, you know, I mean, what else can you say? That's five potential Hall of Famers in one lineup. And if they're all clicking on all cylinders, they're, they're committed to defense. I, for, forget the West, man. I mean, nobody in this league is going to be able to beat them again. Yeah, it's a problem for the league, I think. Just the whole fact that, you know, like, it's basically preordained to the Warriors to get to the finals again, and that's just not really interesting after a certain point. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's interesting after a certain point, but to me, I'm I'm sort of that guy who likes to appreciate the dominance of stuff. I mean, a lot of things had to fall their way. Like, drafting a guy like Draymond Green in the second round and getting him on a better second contract is great. Um, we know Curry had injury issues during his rookie contract, which allowed him to sign up that absurd contract where he was only getting $11 million a year. Um, and then even Clay wasn't even getting paid that much. A lot of pieces had to fall in the right places. Uh, you know, hiring Steve Kerr was just ingenious and, and give credit to Bob Myers, um, give credit to Jerry West when he was there. I mean, this was just, this couldn't have gone more perfect than they did. And even with cousins this year, um, the odds that they get this guy who is disgruntled because he had a major injury to his Achilles and no one wanted to pay him. So where does he go? He goes to a place to get a free ring. I think every fan base would dream of this. I mean, can you imagine if the Knicks were in a situation like this, that they're so good that guys are willing to take pay cuts. All NBA players are willing to take pay cuts to play with them. Um, but after a while, yeah, you get sick of it. You want to see him lose. And hopefully it'll be someone sometime soon. Yeah, I feel like the biggest challenge in the next couple of years be when LeBron gets guys to come with him to L.A. But right now, I don't know about you. I feel like they built that team around him really weird. What do you think of their choices of bringing guys like Rondo and Beasley, Lance Stevenson, that kind of crew? Well, I, th- I think it's interesting. Rondo's a guy who I understand like some people want to compare him to Lonzo, even though he's not really similar. The only thing is that they like to pass first. That's about it. But he's a guy who shows up in the playoffs all the time. It seems 
that the Bulls were probably going to win that series against the Celtics a couple years ago before he broke his wrist. He was such a key cog in just getting them to a Game 7 against the Miami Heat while uh, Kevin Garnett Pierce were in the back ends of their career. Um, He's the kind of guy that has that playoff experience because going in with this team now that LeBron has, opposed to the one he had in Cleveland or even Miami, a lot of these guys are talented, but they're not all-NBA players yet. I don't think anyone's at the caliber of D. Wade or Kyrie Irving talent. But to, to your other question about filling in the roster, I think the main problem with LeBron and the Cavs last year was that he was committing a lot of energy on defense, and that's why he was so exhausted at the end of the game because he was doing so much. But if he gets guys like Lance Stevenson, you know, Rondo, to just commit on defense and have him do have them do some of their work, you know, accept their roles while LeBron is able to run the offense and when he needs to in crunch time play some defense um, because he needs to conserve his energy because, again, he is far and away the best player on his team and, and the gap between him and the second best player is, is fairly big just because they're so young and they're such raw players. Yeah, I also think it's interesting that on offense especially, like he's going to get help on the defensive end now because these guys will play D and he won't have to do all that work, but – it's a different set than what he's had in like Cleveland and Miami where he would basically be on the floor with shooters and they would space it out for him to create. Now he's playing with guys like Rondo and Stevens who like to go to the basket themselves and not just stand there and wait for the ball. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it works. I think LeBron can play with anyone. I think he's shown that throughout his career when, with his first stint with the Cavs. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal for them. I think more of the bigger deal is going to be how does Lonzo do after his injury? How high of a ceiling does Kyle Kuzma and, and Josh Hart have, I think by far, Brandon Ingram is the highest ceiling. He's still extremely young. He's only 21 years of age. He was one of the youngest players when he was back at Duke. And he's a guy uh, LeBron can kick the ball out to. The Lakers were top five in pace last year. This team's going to get up and down. Um, and, and since they're so young, they're going to be able to take a little bit of stress off of uh, LeBron because I thought they really improved last year as a team. They were really in a lot of games. They just didn't have a guy like LeBron, obviously, or even guys like Rondo or Lance Stevenson to help them seal some of those wins. All right. I know we're not making expecting any big dramatic leaps from like worst to first, like you get in football or baseball sometimes, but like give me a team that you think can like be a sleeper that people aren't talking about right now that can at least like get get in the playoffs, possibly win around. Get in the playoffs and possibly win around. Well, see, mm, mm, I the, the East, uh, I could go with the West. The West actually might be a little bit easier. I do see if the Denver Nuggets make the proper jump that they need to, if Mike Malone shows that he can coach them into the playoffs, they they lost on the last day of the season where the Timberwolves got the eighth seed um, and when they were involved with the Spurs as well. But their backcourt of Jamal Merritt, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, they signed Isaiah Thomas. Hopefully they get a good version of him off the bench. Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic. It's a very talented team. I, I know people kind of saw them coming out a little bit last year where they had a nice record. They would have made the playoffs in the East for sure. Um, I think that's the team that might be able to jump in if they get a good matchup in the first round. I think they might be able to make it into the playoffs. And I'll, I'll just go over the East. Who knows? Do the Orlando Magic finally make that jump? I thought Mo Bamba was a great pick for them. Aaron Gordon really came into his own last year. Really depends on the development of a guy like Jonathan Isaac as well. Um, 
But, you know, I mean, I feel like we've been waiting for the Orlando Magic for a while. Um, and the Detroit Pistons got to figure things out. I mean, there's not that many teams really that excite me here um, in the East that I don't already know that are good, um, like Indy. But if I were to have to say a team, I think I would go with the Magic just for the hell of it. Yeah, I like your call on the Nuggets, too. I feel like they're like the uh, NBA League Pass like darlings because like everybody loves how efficient they are on offense, and they're fun to watch. They are, they are really fun to watch, and they were they were kind of like the Lakers, just a better version of them. They just had trouble finishing off some games, too. Uh, a lot of that was with Mike Malone, and they had a game against the Celtics where they hosted at home. I know the Celtics are a different animal, and going up against Brad Stevens is hard, but there was a lot of questionable stuff that Mike Malone was doing, and, you know, games like that, they add up, and that ended up being the difference for the Nuggets last year. But if they're able to sneak in and get a 5-4 matchup, who knows, maybe go against the Thunder, maybe they like their chances against the Jazz, potentially. Um, they they could go in and, and win a series. If not, you know, I, I could see them uh, giving a team all they can handle, like the Lakers. All right, last thing. What's your NBA Finals prediction right now? Dun, dun, dun. I think everybody pretty much knew this once LeBron uh, went west and everybody had... Um, uh, like even before the Kawhi trade, and I, even after the Kawhi trade, it's going to be Warriors Celtics. Um, I th- I mean, it, at this point, you're just going to ask me how many games the Warriors are going to win in, <laughs> because I think that's what it's going to be again. Um, I don't know. We we haven't seen the Celtics at full strength with this roster. They're a very deep team as well. They have one of the best benches in the league. Um, but if that if, if the All NBA version of Demarcus Cousins is back. I mean, I don't know how you just see them winning in 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 five. I, like I, I I can't I can't see them winning in less in, in more than five games. It's just they're they're that good, and I don't think the Celtics are just going to have an answer for it. They have three of the greatest shooters of all time. They have one of the best big men of his generation, one of the best defenders of their generation. I mean, it could be a sweep for all we know. I mean, that could it's it's. Uh, what can I say? This is the greatest team I have ever seen in any sport. And I watch every single sport possible. I think this is far and away from that. Uh, just this, this core that they've been able to put together. You can't up better, especially in a video game. So, four years again. All right, big words. One of the greatest teams ever seen by Martino Puccio. Before you go, you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Um, yeah, sure. So I am on Twitter now. This is a new Twitter, I think, from the last time we talked in the World Cup. Um, try to be a little bit more professional, but it's at Martino Puccio. Um, you could follow my SoundCloud as well. It's uh, Soccer Showdown would be the name of the podcast. I'm sure. I'm sure you'll. Uh, I'm sure you'll see it um, on my Twitter whenever I tweet it out. You could follow and listen to a lot of soccer stuff on there. But I watch all sports obviously, because you heard me talk about soccer and now you heard me talk about basketball. So, thanks for having me on, Mike. Really loved it. Um, had a good time talking basketball. No problem. Thank you for the time, man. Alright, take care. Take care. As Martino Puccio on the NBA. Up next, show me the money. Week number six. Picks are coming up right after this. Show me the money. All 
All right, and we're back with week number six of Show Me the Money. Joining me today is a guy you heard over the summer. We talked about the PGA Championship back then. Today we're going to make some NFL picks with Dan Martini. Dan, welcome back. How are you? Thanks for having me again, Mike. Uh, looking forward to this. Not a problem. What kind of fan are you for the people who are not aware? Uh, I am in absolute misery these days, um, but that's because I'm an Indianapolis Colt fan. It's a long story. Um, I grew up in a all-manning household. Um, my dad and brother are big Giants fans, watching Eli for all these years. My mother and I are, are big Peyton Manning fans. It kind of worked out in that the, at the age I really started paying attention to the NFL, that Peyton was just drafted from Tennessee to the Colts. And that's really what got me to love football was all those wonderful years watching Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and this high-powered offense. And I just, even though I had no affiliation to Indianapolis, I just loved watching Peyton Manning. He did, if, if I could play quarterback in the NFL, I'd want to do it the way Peyton did. All right. And the Colts are off to a rough start this year. One and four in the beginning of the Frank Reich era. Lost to the Patriots last Thursday, uh, t- uh, 10 days to get ready for the Jets. What's your big takeaways from watching Reich coach this team so far? Well, here's the thing. So Frank Reich is going to be a great coach. You can just tell from his demeanor, the way he says things, the way he does things, from a play-calling perspective, uh, and just the tone that he has come in set. It's an awkward position to be in, right? So everybody remembers what happened with Josh McDaniel, for those that don't. The Colts tried to sign Josh McDaniels. They made an announcement. They had a press conference set, and yet Josh McDaniels at the 11th hour decided not to take the job with the Colts. So very quickly, you've got a new GM that's been hired, a GM that was fired, a head coach that was fired in Chuck Pagano. You get the right guy at GM uh, with Chris Ballard, and then his top choice, it sounded like it was going to be the start of a, a really amazing era back, in, you know, in Indianapolis. And the next thing you know, Frank Wright is is getting a call saying, you know, you may not have been our first choice, but we we'd love to have you back. You know, he for those that don't know, uh, Frank Wright coached Peyton Manning. He was his quarterbacks coach uh, in the early thousands, and has kind of you know been in the NFL as coordinator uh, ever since. But it's a great hire. I, as a Colt fan right now, am not upset with Frank Wright. There are a couple things that he has done that have bothered me from what we've been doing, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, with their, with their late-game decision-making. But he's giving his young guys a chance. They're not running this cookie-cutter offense anymore. They're protecting Andrew up up front. Um, while they haven't given him a ton of you know options on the outside, they're playing a bunch of rookies who are showing a ton of potential. It's really hard to take your franchise quarterback who's 29 years old with a reconstructed shoulder and say, okay, you know, you've got to wait a little bit. It's going to be a couple more years through the draft and, and key free agent signing before we can put out a really competitive team. It's, it's kind of your worst-case scenario. You've got the quarterback, but you don't have the team. Well, most teams around the league have the team but not the franchise quarterback so we're in a very awkward spot but I love what Frank Reich is doing from a passion perspective um, but I'm not particularly thrilled about 
some of the things that have gone on so far this year from late-game decision-making. Let me guess, you're not a big fan of going for on the fourth and four in overtime against the Texans? Absolutely not. And here's why. And, and I'm, I'm happy to argue this um, all day long. My thing is this. You're only a few games into the season. It was the fourth game of the season. You come down, you, you make an amazing comeback. You're down 28-10 to 10 against a, a team that doesn't have any wins to this point in the year. You basically can, can knock the Texans out of contention for making the playoffs this early in the year after you've already had an incredible win, I guess you would call that an incredible win for the Colts, on the road at Washington. You can do this. You can win the game, and at worst, you can tie the game. Everybody's arguing, well, you know, you got to play for the win. The tie's not going to get you anything. Well, I hate to say it, but the Titans and the Jags are 3-2 and two right now. They're not showing that they're, they're all, and the Jags are just as beat up as the Colts are right now. The Titans go on the road and get basically embarrassed by the Bills losing that game. So the division is still open in my mind. If they had just played for the tie, punted the ball away, pinned them deep, Rigoberto Sanchez, the Colts punter is arguably one of the most solid parts of this team right now at pinning teams deep. You know, you've been playing some pretty sound defense. You double Hopkins. You make you make them force the ball to somebody else. Nobody else was making plays that day for the Texans. And you take the tie. It's fine. At that point, you're one, two, and one, and you can still, you know, eat out a win maybe against the Patriots, even though. You know they played pretty well and lost. You're still not in as bad a spot as one and four. I would much rather be one three and one than one and four. Do you remember exactly what happened with the sequence there? I do not, but I think in terms of this, I think it was the right call. I have a number for you. It's interesting. I was. Did you see Peter King's football morning football morning in America column Monday? No, I didn't. What did he say? In the column, they talked to somebody from Pro Football Focus about that play going for it. They gave the Colts a 63.1% chance of converting that play on the fourth and four. And they expert the head on basically said that when you factor in that you're trying to build culture and your human element, that that was the only choice to go for on that play. But here's my issue. Okay, so it's who they threw to and why. Okay, so I think what happened on the play, if I, if I remember correctly, it's fourth and two. You're on your own 42-yard line, and they throw a quick – out pattern to Chester Rogers, who's arguably their third receiver, uh, depending on what package they're in, who hadn't been having the best of games. It made a couple nice plays, but he's definitely not your your first set of hands. And he's going up against, I think it was Jonathan Joseph, um, at cornerback, who's a, a veteran quarterback, cornerback. And it just seemed like the when they snap the ball as a Colt fan, you're in such shock that they actually decided to snap the ball there, especially when they tried to the play before it, they called timeout. They, they basically tried to, to bluff and get the Texans to go offside. So then they come back on fourth down, and you're like, wait, where's the punter? Why is Andrew coming up to the line? There was no way in my mind that they were going to actually snap the ball. You can't – my thing is this, okay, you're, you're a young team – Frank Reich is putting his faith in his players. I get that argument. I get the Peter King article that they had a really good chance to convert there. But they didn't. 
they didn't convert. So now what are you saying to your team? Okay, we're going to risk – basically, we're going to give the game back to the Texans here. There was plenty of time left on the clock for them to, to string it. They only needed 20 yards to win the game at that point, less even. I think it was like they, they completed a 17-yard pass to Hopkins. And, and Fairbairn kicked in a very easy field goal to win it. And it's just, what are you really saying? We're going to risk losing the game to try to win it, but the likelihood of this actually working out in the grand scheme of our season, this could cost us the playoffs down the line. You know, if it's that close, you know, you still now have to play the Jags twice, the Titans twice, and you still got to play the Texans one more time. I would have loved to take the tie. Take the tie. I just don't understand why they didn't. This is a team right now in my mind that should be 3-2. and two. Okay, I get all that, but let me give you a counter-argument here. Last week, the Cowboys did what you would have wanted to do. They punted the football in overtime on the 4th and, uh, I believe, 4th and 1 on the Texan 42 with five and a half minutes left in OT. And then they never get the ball back. They lose the game. I'd rather personally put my faith in my offense to get the, get the yardage and keep the ball then say here, I hope my defense can stop them. And I and I get that as well. I know that the, the, it looks very similar from that standpoint. I can only tell you what I would want my team to do. As an outside observer who doesn't really care what the Cowboys are doing, you know, from a season perspective, from you know, just trying to fix their whole team and win games and, and you know I, I really don't have any sort of connection to Dallas I, I, but as an unbiased person watching that game I say okay I, you know I, maybe they punt maybe they go for it okay but by punting the ball there you know you're, you're hoping you're putting it's the same argument right so you put either you're facing your offense or you're facing your defense they lost the game regardless the Colts lost because their offense failed and the Cowboys lost because their defense failed. So if, if I know we're, we're, we're going. Yeah, I, think we're, I, think we're, I think we're in the weeds a little bit here. Let's agree or disagree on this one. We'll move on real quick. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, real quick. Week number six, they play the Jets. They play my team. 50-year anniversary, Super Bowl three. What do you think is going to happen in this game? It's really interesting. So I was looking at the injury report, and the, the injury report means more than – any sort of offensive scheme that the Colts could put together to go up against the Jets. The Jets are obviously coming off a great win. The Colts are coming off of a pretty embarrassing loss. It's all going to depend on there are 11 guys right now on the Colts injury report that are all starters on this team between offense and defense that all did not practice today. And usually the Tuesday, Wednesday before you're going up against an opponent, when you're putting in your game plan, you're going to want those guys you know, either limited participation in practice or full, and they're all not participating. Yeah, not great. So I think the Colts are in a lot of trouble. I, they don't they don't necessarily play well in New York, um, and uh, I could see this game. My team prediction is Darnold starts off slow. The Colts' defense gets a little bit of pressure, but I think the Jets are leading 17-10 at halftime, and I think it's 24-17 final Jets. I would like to see that happen. I want to see the Jets put together a good effort after a big get win, something I have not done, but we'll see how that goes. Let's get to the picks. Last week, Jack Clark was here for the Challengers. He went 2-1, and one, took the Lions minus one in, Green, in hosting Green Bay, got that correct, took the Vikings plus three in Philadelphia, was correct on that. 
lost on the Titans, minus three and a half in Buffalo on that horrendous letdown. So the Challengers are now 10-4-1 on the year. I had a perfect 3-0 week, week, week number five. Bengals, six, minus six and a half against Miami. Got a huge comeback there, helped me out. I got the, at the Cardinals, plus four in San Francisco. They went on and won the game outright by 10. And at the Saints, minus six and a half Monday night. They rolled all over the Redskins. So I'm now eight and seven on the comeback trail. Dan, since you are the guest, you can pick first. Okay. Well, since we've talked a lot about the Houston Texans today, I am going to start with that game. I'm going to take the Texans, giving one point at home against Buffalo. Um, I really think that Buffalo is one of those teams that goes week to week. They're going to now spoil some people's seasons, and then they're going to come crashing back to reality. Houston's at home. They're starting to get a lot out of that guy, Kiki Kiki, um, which is kind of interesting when you look at Fuller and Hopkins on the outside. Now you've got somebody that's a threat in the middle of the field and in the slot, and they can use him as a running back. I think the Bills, uh, while you know they, they get a nice win over the Titans, which is kind of classic Tennessee Titans to lose that game after beating the Jags um, and then beating the Eagles. Uh, but I think Houston gets it done at home. Uh, I, you know, it's only one point. I, you know, I think they win that game by at least a touchdown. I'm pretty confident about that one. Yeah, it's a little inside baseball here at the podcast. We're recording this on Wednesday. The line is only minus one, because, I think, because the books are concerned about Deshaun Watson's presence. He had a lot of chest hits on Sunday against the, against the uh, Cowboys. Two, three of the books don't have the game listed right now. The one we have is minus one. That's why Dan's getting that. It might be different at the end of the week. Dan, where are you going with your second pick? Um, let's go to um, let's go to Green Bay at home hosting the San Francisco 49ers. The line is nine and a half. I'm going to take Green Bay to really put a hurting on the 49ers um, at home. I think that Green Bay was embarrassed last week. I think. Uh, you know, defensively, the Packers are one of those teams, you know, they talk about your fantasy sleepers this week. They're saying, you know, everybody pick up the Green Bay defense. Well, I like the Green Bay defense, um, you know, up against whatever the 49ers are putting out there. I really think the Green Bay offense at this point in time really needs to open it up. They need to get more dynamic, and I think McCarthy's going to figure that out this week, and they're going to put on a good show at Lambeau. I like that pick as well. Remember the last time Green Bay had a bad loss? They came home with 10-point fairs against the Bills, and they shut them out 22 nothing. Could easily see that happening again. Yep, yeah. Where are you, go- where are you going with your last pick? Well, the last pick, um, you know, since I am an AFC South guy, uh, and, you know, I've already made my stance on the Colts, so I've kind of somewhat read out the division. I'm going to take the Tennessee Titans at figure things out against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they're giving up three uh, to the Ravens. I'm not impressed with Baltimore. I know they've, they've been – they're one of those really weird teams also. Uh, Tennessee, Buffalo, Minnesota, um, Baltimore, they're all those the San Diego Chargers. Any given week they can come out and beat their opponent down or they can come out and have an absolute clunker. When you've got Tennessee and Baltimore, who are both clunkers, I'm going to take the home team, uh, especially since they are 
actually, sorry, I believe they are they're getting three in this game. Irvine, like Tennessee, they are plus three. Um, I think it's a little bizarre that the Ravens would be on the road, you know, and giving up three points when they haven't done anything to prove any uh, any better. So let's take Tennessee at home. Vrabel's going to figure things out. He's already said that his team needs to hold themselves more accountable. Uh, they need to grow up. Uh, I heard Taylor Lewan, the lineman, was talking about it earlier this week as well. They're, they're, you know, they've been having too much fun with ever since their, their, those two dramatic wins. And um, I think that they get things figured out. Mariota's getting a little bit healthier. They've got to establish the run in this game to open up Corey Davis on the outside. But uh, I think the wide receivers have a big, big showing. Great. Right. Brave man taking that game. I would not go anywhere near it. I know, but I feel confident with what I've seen uh, and, and knowing what Tennessee can do. I'm one of those very bizarre fans in that I, I watch the AFC South every week, no matter who's on. I'm curious what's going on. Everybody talks about, oh, it's going to be the best division in football. Um, and, you know, is it living up to it right now? No. But uh, I, I think by the end of the year, they'll have at least two teams in the playoffs. And um, it, 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 it's fairly open. They all, Every team has promise. Um, the Jags defense, the Titans just with a new direction, and Mariota, you know, the Texans with Watson and the Colts with Luck. So there, it, it's a fun division to watch. You never know which team is going to come out and put up the points or whose defense is going to show up. It's, it's just a rule of the dice every week. All right, that's interesting picks. I'm going up now. First pick, I'm actually going with the New York Giants, getting three points at home tomorrow night against the Eagles. I don't normally like the Thursday night game, but I've had a feeling all week the Giants have come out and win this game. They played very well against Carolina, lost the game um, on a last-second field goal. The Eagles have looked sloppy all season. They had a Super Bowl hangover. They've had trouble covering outside receivers, which is not good when you're playing a team that has Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard on the outside. I also do not like the weather in this game being a factor. It's supposed to rain a lot tomorrow. It's going to be a little slippery. And that favors the team with a better running game. Eagles just lost Jay Ajayi for the season. Giants have Barkley. They are getting three points. I'm going to take those points, take the Giants, pick number one. I don't disagree with you there. Um, to be perfectly honest, if the Colts actually beat the Eagles, think about where the Eagles would be right now. You talk about a Super Bowl hangover. I mean, that team has not found their identity yet. Um, they're a little vulnerable on defense. I know they're banged up at running back, losing a job. Yeah, it's, you know, I think this is a chance for the Giants. I mean, the Redskins are leading the NFC right now at 2-2, two and two, and they got embarrassed against the Saints. So all I'll say is, you know, go Big Blue. All right, that's pick number one. Pick number two, I'm taking my new favorite sleeper of the year. I'm taking the Chicago Bears, minus three in Miami. I don't think the Dolphins are that good. I feel they've been exposed the last couple of weeks. They blew that big 17-point lead against the Bengals week after they lost in Foxborough. The Bears had the week off to get ready for this game. Their defense is great. Khalil Mack has made a huge difference on them. Playing against a weak Dolphin Lions, lost a couple of starters on IR for the year. The Bears only get laying three on the road. I think they will find a way to grind out like a touchdown victory. It's so surprising, right, to think, like, where did the Bears all of a sudden just come up with all these offensive threats? They've got their three to four deep at wide receiver. You know, Trey Burton is a, is a top five tight end in the league. They've got two serviceable running backs. 
and Matt Nagy, I mean, I remember when the Colts were looking for their head coach, Nagy was one of the guys on the list, and I think it's a huge miss for teams out there who didn't give this guy a chance sooner. Uh, you know, the, the Bears are a scary team uh, as long as that defense is healthy. Uh, we don't know how they'll travel on the road. I think that game will be close, but, um, you know, I, I think you might be onto something there as well. All right, final pick of the week. I'm taking the Patriots, minus three and a half, Sunday night, hosting the Chiefs. The Pats are, everybody's talking big about the Chiefs. They're 5-0. and Mahomes is the newest newest sensation in this league, the best thing since sliced bread. But, again, people are sleeping on the Patriots. They've had 10 days to prepare for this game, so they'll come up with some wrinkles that Mahomes and the Chiefs haven't seen before. Plus, they are highly motivated to get some revenge here. The last two times they've played the, the Chiefs in the regular season, the Chiefs have embarrassed them. They beat them in 2014. 41-14 in Kansas City. That was the infamous on the Cincinnati game from Belichick. Last year, they raised the banner against the Chiefs, lost 42-27. I think they could come out and make a statement in this game and embarrass the Chiefs. Double-digit victory for the Patriots. And I completely disagree on this one, only because having watched the Patriots last week and then watching what, what the Chiefs did to the Jags' defense in, in the rain, even for a little bit of that game, I'm, I'm all in on the Chiefs. They are terrifying. They have so many threats. It's impossible to cover them. And, and the Patriots' defense is nothing but average. Um, I don't think they'll get any pressure. Uh, I watched that Chiefs offensive line handle the Jags' front, which is arguably the best in the league. I don't think that they have the pass rushers in New England to cause Mahomes problems. He's going to have all day to throw. I think the Patriots are going to find themselves down 21-3 to pretty quick. And... Uh, I can see Andy Reid just he's got Belichick numbers right now and uh I'm all in. Now I think what happens to the Chiefs is that they're gonna make this statement game beating the Patriots in prime time and then you're gonna see them have the absolute clunker. It's I think the Chiefs are that classic team where wait, they just beat the Jags and Patriots and then they're gonna lose to whoever it is that's, you know, bottom of the league. I feel like they'll have one of those games coming up pretty soon. But I do think that they're going to step up. This is Mahomes' coming out party. I saw all those T-shirts last week rolling with Mahomes. I'm, I, I love it. I'm all in for it. And, um, you know, I love watching the Patriots lose. So um, I'm just a bitter Colt fan. What can I say? All right. But uh, go Chiefs. All right, so let's reset. Dan went Houston Texans minus one at home against Buffalo. Green Bay minus nine and a half against the 49ers at home on Monday night and the Titans plus three against the Ravens on Sunday. I took the Giants plus three tomorrow night against the Philadelphia Eagles at home, the Bears minus three in Miami on Sunday, and the Pats minus three and a half against the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. Those are your picks for week number six. Dan, thanks for stopping by. Hey, thanks. And uh, I actually think we're going to win all of those games. So on this one, but uh, thanks for having me again, Mike. No problem. You want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media in case they want to hear more of your ramblings about the Colts? Sure. If you actually want to, uh, to dig into what I'm retweeting or tweeting or my angry in-game tweets, it's D-E-M-A-H-H-207 on Twitter. All right. Thanks for the time, Dan. Thanks, Mike. Bye. All right. Up next, we are going to, to the two-minute drill where I talk about why baseball has a problem on its hands.
All right, and we're back with this week's two-minute drill. The baseball playoffs are underway, and to be honest, they've been very disappointing. The baseball's not been great. Three of the series feature teams that were clearly outmatched in them. Houston dominated the Indians. Disappointing me because I picked the Indians to get to the World Series in the podcast last week. But the big problem, Houston simply overwhelmed the Indians with their pitching. The Indians cannot get enough hits to save their lives. They're done. The Rockies, they'll be good in the future. They have good young pitching. The travel got to them. They had to go way too many places over the last week. They wore down against a good Brewer team. Brewers swept them. The Braves look very overmatched against the Dodgers. They snuck out a win. I'm recording on Monday. They snuck out a win last night in Game 3. I'm not expecting them to get the other two to get the series and get back into the NLCS. Yankees-Red Sox has been fun, but to be honest, watching these games reminds me of a lot of the problems that I had with the league today. Number one, bullpen is going to kill this sport. And I'm sorry. The Rays invented the idea of the opener, which is an neat idea. And because they're the Rays, they can do whatever they want. And they're smarter than everybody. And they've shown it time and time again. But the fact that you think that bullpenning a playoff game is a great idea. I'm talking to you, Oakland. That's a horrible idea, especially in a one-game situation. You are asking essentially seven or eight different pitchers to all be on their game at once to win that game. And that's your game plan. I don't like it. I'm used to having big-time starting pitchers give big-time performances in these October games. A Met fan. I saw it a couple years ago when Matt Harvey was throwing on the mound in the ninth inning working on a shutout against the Royals. I don't like seeing these bullpen guys every inning changing it up. We already have too many pitching changes in baseball today. We don't need to just invent and reason to add more of them in there. That's bad. Number two... The shifting is out of control. These hitters just will not adapt to the shift. There are less balls in play than ever before, and so that's a huge issue for me. Baseball is to come about the three true outcomes, the walk, the homer, and the strikeout. Go back to the All-Star game. Every single run except for one was came on a homer. That's not how baseball is. That's not how it should be. Baseball even needs to get its hitters to adapt and actually try and put the ball in play which that will take a long time, or they need to put something in there, put a rule in about the shift. It's gotten to the point of insanity. I think, honestly, the best rule you can do, you must have two infielders on either side of the diamond, on both sides of the diamond, excuse me. You need that to happen. You cannot have these seven-man outfields or whatever nonsense the Cubs come up with to try and vent outs. You think it's too radical? Look what the NFL has done over the years with their defensive rules. They've constantly tweaked the thing, tweaked the rule book to create more opportunities for the offense, by especially the chuck rules against defensive backs. And what's happened? Teams are scoring more, and the games are more fun. Baseball should take a page out of their book for that. Last thing, I feel like baseball is losing a lot of its personality, especially as a lot of these old-school managers are getting out of the game. We lost two more of them this year. Buck Showalter out in Baltimore after they lose 115 games. That's not surprising. Mike Socia out in Baltimore after a very long career there. Those are two of the more outrageous personalities in this game. And now the managers of this game are becoming more cookie cutters. You're getting your guys who are 
good friends with the players, who are willing to listen to the front office, all the stat nerds who want to go in there and talk about, oh, you know, if you put this guy in this spot against this pitcher, it'll work. There is a place for that in this game. But people do not pay money to see stat nerds simulate games. They play to see athletes play, and they pay to see drama and personality. Ruining these big managers sucks a lot of the drama out of the game. Encouraging less expression of personality, trying to make everything more uniform, that takes a lot of the personality out of the game. It's not the baseball I grew up with, and I don't like it. I'm hoping that the sport realizes this and tries to fix it. If not, it will become unrecognizable. And despite all the money they're making off of the MLB at bat and the international revenue and the TV, despite all that, the game's getting worse. And they need to do something to fix it. And that'll do it for today's show. I want to thank my guests, Martino Puccio and Dan Martini, for stopping by to talk NBA and make picks in this week's Show Me the Money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, feel free to follow the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com where you can check out more great stuff like my in-depth preview of the three locals for the NHL season. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes simply by searching for Just and the Suffering in the podcast store. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings or make the show even better. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the hashtag StatNerd if you made it to the end of today's show. Stay locked in next week. We're going to talk to you about more hockey. That's right. We're going to dive into the early season NHL storylines. All of that and more next week. Until then, I'll give you a better week than Giants fans. <laughs>